Hello and welcome back to VIA, a podcast where together we are exploring what it means to follow Jesus. Today we're looking at what I feel is a much needed perspective shift within Christian culture. And I'm passionate about this one because I truly believe if we understand this concept, it could be a life-altering realization for so many people. Now, it's going to seem very simple, so simple in fact that it might appear abundantly obvious, but I think it's important for us to not just understand something, but also put it into action. So here's what I'm talking about. In our first podcast, I introduced the concept of via, and in doing so, I said via represents movement, that salvation is only the beginning of our journey. We looked at a text like Ephesians 2 and remembered that salvation is by grace through faith, that we trust in the work of the Messiah. But then, right after that, it also tells us that the Messiah has good works for us to do. So we see someone follows Jesus, and then he sends them on mission. That salvation is only the beginning. That's what I want us to reflect on a little more today, because for many people, salvation looks like an end. You know, they think, I've been saved, now I'm good. You know, I'll go to church every now and then, I'll be a nice person. But essentially, my spiritual journey has culminated in this moment of salvation. I'm not going to go to hell. I have a ticket to heaven, whatever that means in the popular conception. But guys, the Bible paints a different picture of the Christian life, what I believe is a far more beautiful picture of the Christian life. In fact, it tells us that God has so much more for us than what I just described. And I'm not even just talking about religious activities. The, the life of a follower of Jesus is so much more than a string of religious meetings and obligations. Those are important and valid, and we're going to talk about you know, church and spiritual disciplines, but they are only a small percentage of our lives with Christ. So what I'd like to do today is take a look at one passage in the New Testament that I think really encapsulates this idea best. It's Hebrews 12, verses 1 and 2. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to it. If not, I'll, I'll read it aloud here. This is Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. This is the ESV version. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Now, there's so much we could say about these verses, but what I'd like to do is make three very simple observations. The first one is the very heart of the episode. It's, it's the main point of, of all that we're doing here. The last two will be a lot shorter and quicker and kind of a, an add-on. Like, if, if, we're, if this first point is true, here's what we need to know afterwards, okay? So, three simple observations. The first one is, salvation is not the finish line, it's the starting line, all right? We're just beginning. If you, if you read the first two verses of, of Hebrews 12, at the very least, you have to come away with the idea that the writer of Hebrews has some expectation for the life of a Christian. He says he calls us to run the race. So when you choose to follow Christ, it's not as if your race is complete. It's, it's entering you into it. So from the point of salvation forward, you're now part of something greater than yourself. You've, you've been invited to and you've been placed in this race along with other people. Following Jesus is just the starting line. Another way to look at this is Paul's letters in the New Testament. We have 13 of Paul's letters that he wrote to various churches and people within the New Testament. And within those letters, there is a beautiful combination of gospel truth, what has God done for us through the Messiah, but then also wisdom for how that truth, what God has done for us through the Messiah, makes a tangible difference in every area of our lives. So for Paul, it's not just teaching that he wants us to learn. It's not just intellectual agreement. 
It's not just religious ideas that take precedence one hour a week when we listen to some person talk. What we want to do is we want to see faith like Paul sees faith. We want to open up and expand our idea of faith life. So for many people, um, faith life is, you know, on one side. This, this is my faith life. This is, I go to church. I have a small group. I might even do a quiet time. We might pray at meals. But then on the other side is my quote-unquote real life. This is, you know, every other single minute and hour that I spend as if they're two separate categories. But I think in Scripture, what we see is those two things merging. A better way to look at this is once we are in Christ, we live a life of faith. Those two categories combine. Um, a good example of this is Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Um, the first half of Paul's letter to the Christians at Ephesus, or it, was, it probably was a more of a circular letter that went to a lot of the different cities, with perhaps Ephesus being the, the biggest one. But regardless, the, the first half of that letter uh, is full of truth. What has God done for us in Christ? And, it, and it's beautiful, and you should reflect on it, and you should meditate on it. Paul would want you to do that. But he, you can't stop there. You have to get to what are the last three chapters in, in the way that our Bible is arranged that talk about how does this truth, how do all these things that God has done for you impact the way that we live, the way that we talk, the way that we relate to other people, the way that we uh, interact with people in our community and care for our, our world, all those things. So it's not just that we're to do more religious things, but that the gospel, all these things that Paul has taken time to explain and share impacts every area of our lives. A, a very specific example from scripture would be Paul's letter to Philemon. Philemon was a early first century slave owner who came to believe in Jesus as the Messiah. One of his slaves, Onesimus, had run away. And there's more to the story, but Onesimus finds Paul, and whether or not he had already become a Christian at this point, or whether Paul uh, leads him to follow after Jesus, we're not sure. But Onesimus decides to follow Christ, and Paul sends him back to Philemon. And he sends Philemon a letter with him, because Philemon is a believer now at this point. And he says, I want you to consider Onesimus a brother and no longer a slave. So think about the impact of that. That is worldview shattering at that point, right? Like Paul is telling Philemon, I get that you say that you're a believer. I believe that you're a believer. I believe you're a brother in Christ with me. I believe you're running the race with me. But if you believe these truths, if you believe in what Jesus did for humanity, breaking the power of sin and death and changing the way that we see each other and all this stuff, here's a change that you need to make as you begin your faith life. And so Paul calls on on Philemon to not only view to, to view Onesimus not as a slave, but as a brother in Christ. That's a huge change in his life. And, and Paul, wouldn't, Paul would not want Philemon to continue to go and worship with other believers and be a part of the congregation of other believers if he was not going to make that change. For Paul, that was an essential. You believe in what Christ has done, you've got to start treating people better. And so as I think about this practically, one way that's helped me, something that I found helpful, is to think about the fruit of the Spirit in a different way. The fruit of the Spirit, um, you know, love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. We often think about them as things that we possess. So, you know, I've, I've received Christ, so that His Spirit lives within me. So I'm gonna I'm gonna have more patience in a particular situation, or I'm gonna I'm gonna feel at peace when things are not going right. And to some degree, I believe that's true. But I think what we often miss out on is they're not just things that we possess, but they're also attributes that we express and impart to other people. So a way that I run the race is to 
use these fruits of the Spirit in every circumstance that I encounter. The Spirit enables me to to make these characteristics tangible realities in all of the relationships that I have. So family, work, my neighborhood, my faith community, uh, they, they, they all change because of God's work through His Spirit in my life. So for example, my family, uh, a typical way that someone might view God's work in their family might be, okay, we're going we're gonna to change what we watch on TV or what we listen to. And that's true. God should change what we, what we take in and what we're feeding our spirit and what we're feeding our mind and our heart. But it's so much more than that. As, as a believer, as a follower in Christ, God empowers me to be a better husband and a better father, demonstrating the fruits of the spirit to the different people in my household. So when my kids, you know, disobey me for the, you know, the hundred, 200, 300th time, I don't lash out in anger, or at least that's, that's the goal that, that I'm following Jesus in such a way that I respond with the fruit of the spirit in, in love, joy, peace, patience, you know, all those different things working in to that interaction with my child. I don't just respond in frustration. I don't just respond in disappointment. Yes, there, there might be consequences for their behavior, but I'm, I'm not giving them those consequences out of my own fleshly desire. I, I'm using, I, I'm running the race with Christ, and I'm using His Spirit to enable me to love them in such a way that would discipline them toward knowing Him better, toward making the right decision next time to honor Him. So my family life changes. How do I, how do I love my wife? I don't love her in reciprocation to how she loves me. You know, even even if my wife, my wife is beautiful and lovely and does so much for my family and so much for me. And so this really isn't a problem. But even if she did nothing in, in regards to, you know, into our relationship, I'm still called to love her with with a with a love that's in Ephesians, according to Ephesians, is the love that Christ has for the church, which is a sacrificial, uh, selfless kind of love. And so it changes the dynamic with my wife. Do I do I wake up and just you know, go, okay, how can I fulfill all of my needs today? Or do I think about the other person? So it changes the family dynamic. It changes how we, we are at work. You know, whether you're making pizza or a teacher or you work for the YMCA, maybe you've worked with people with special needs or uh, maybe you're a student. Students, you have an amazing opportunity when you're at school. You're, you're around more people than you ever, will ever be in the rest of your life, most, most likely. So you have an opportunity to demonstrate how good God is in your life every single day. But we can glorify God wherever we are, at work or as a student. Um, think about the example of Joseph. Uh, following God was not just a spiritual thing. Like he, It wasn't just, I'm going to go and do all these religious activities. But following God meant, now that I am placed in this position of power, how do I care for all of these people in the middle of this drought? Go look up his story in Genesis. You know, most of what we... Uh, read about Joseph is about him interacting and using his faith within culture. And it's not just him, you know, going to church or him having quiet times and, and those kinds of things. Like I said, they're good, but we've got to understand how does God impact the rest of our lives? And so for for him, his work was important. Um, Paul, talking about the wealthy in the first century, he's giving advice to uh, his protege, Timothy, First Timothy 6.18, he says, they're to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous, ready to share. So at work, we're glorifying God. And, and then what we receive from work, that money, the, the resources that we get, we're called to be uh, responsible with those. We're good stewards of those. We, we care for people with, those, with what we have. Um, 
So our family, the way that we interact with our family changes, the way we work changes, uh, the way we, we um, the way we care for the people where we live changes. Jesus uh, cared for people, but beyond just dying for them, right? Like we often think of Jesus just as this miracle worker, and then he died. But his life, if you look at it, demonstrates a life of loving people that a lot of people wouldn't love. Loving people uh, in the midst of a lot of their hardest times. Uh, loving people um, cross-culturally. Loving people that broke boundaries, etc., so for us, as we learn to follow Jesus, as we learn to run the race, as we learn that it's just the starting line, it's how do I love people in my neighborhood? How do I love people where I live as a follower of Jesus? Now, my neighbor, they're not going to be able to look into my life and go, that's the spirit of God working in them. But they should, fe- they should, they should feel his results. So my, my neighbor should be able to go, you know, how, how does he have so much patience? How, how does, like, I can see his love for his children and his wife and the way that he loves me and the rest of our neighbors. Like, our neighbors should be able to see some tangible difference because of what Christ is doing in our lives. And that means, I guess, for a lot of us, getting to know our neighbors. It's, it's possible nowadays to be a believer to potentially only know, you know, one or two neighbors because we just come home, we get into our houses, we close our, we close our doors, and we're just we're trapped within the four walls of our house. So getting out and getting to know our neighbors is a part of that starting line, is a part of that beginning to run the race, because we want people to know the love, the love of God, and that begins by getting to know them, because they're worth it. They're made in His image. They're His, uh, they're His creation, and we want them to know the Creator. So it changes how we view family, work, where we live, and then finally our faith community. When we, when we gather together, it's not just to listen to a person share about instruction from God's Word. That's good. Uh, it's not just to sing, that's good, but then also there's verses like Hebrews 10, 24. It says, let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. So when we gather together, whether you're a part of a traditional church, a house church, whatever it may be, we're called when we gather together to express the fruit of the Spirit to each other, to love each other, to express joy to each other, to uh, to be at peace with each other, and to, and to stir one another up to these good works that God's called for us to do in Ephesians 2. So if, if we're gathering together and we're not seeing tangible change in the body of Christ, like here's, here's how the body of Christ is making an impact in our neighborhoods and our workplaces and, and the places where we, uh, you know, uh, in, enjoy leisure, like, like being a coach of a sports team or something like that. If we're not seeing God impacting people, then we have to, que- we have to question why are we gathering together? Like are, are we doing what we're supposed to be doing when we gather together? How do we stir one another up to love and good works? It's just a starting line. We can't be content with just going to church, listening to something, singing a few words, and then living the exact same way as when we came. It should visibly impact our lives. So these are the types of ideas we're going to be thinking about in the VIA podcast. Um, I want to continue this conversation with you. Uh, you know, How do I run the race in all these particular parts of my life? How do I combine what so many people would call my spiritual life with my secular life. How do I see this as one life of faith? Now, the goal is to continue to learn and grow in them. Um, you know, today our main focus is just trying to, I guess, more fully realize that there's more to faith than we previously thought, that there's purpose for me in each of these areas. And like I said, I, I truly believe this, and I, and I hope that this is a recognition that you can make and that will st- help you start to shift kind of how you feel about faith life. But I truly believe if I am patiently and lovingly helping my kids. I have four kids, and crazy enough, they get into arguments sometimes. 
But if I can patiently and lovingly help my kids navigate a disagreement, that that can be just as pure of an act of worship as singing alongside other people when I gather with the body of Christ. Now, that's not denigrating singing and worshiping with other people. It's not bringing it down. But what it's doing is it's elevating these other parts of our lives that we don't see as important or as connected to our life of faith. But me helping them navigate through that is just as important and just as much of an act of worship and just as much running the race as that act of singing, right? So as a reminder, salvation is the starting line. It's a simple observation, but do you see how much that changes? Do you see how it can change your, your family life, your work life, your, uh, the place where you live, uh, your faith community life? It, it should change everything. All right, so that's, that's observation number one. Now, observation two and three just kind of talk about how, how do we begin to, how do we, how do we continue forward with observation one? All right. So if observation one is faith is just is following Jesus is just the starting line, then uh, observations two and three just help us continue to live that out. Okay. So number two, sin keeps you from living and running freely. Sin keeps you from living and running freely. All right. Now I'm already talking about sin in the second episode of this podcast. And I feel like that's probably a fail because most people will just start turn, tuning out. Um, sin is I'm not, in this podcast, we're not just going to just start, you know, beating you to death with with all the ways that we mess up, okay? That's not the point. But I hope you'll listen to this, and I hope it'll make sense, and I hope you'll see it as something that is, a, is another good shift in, in your perspective on faith, okay? So I want you to see sin as something that keeps you from living and running freely. In, in our verses, it talks about how uh, sin is a weight. It clings so closely. Now imagine trying to run and you're trying to carry a, trying to carry along a bunch of weight. It would be almost impossible. It'd be so difficult. I mean, some people will add weight to like their, their backpacks or something to run to get in shape. But imagine trying to run with like a boulder behind, dragging a boulder behind you. You know, you would, you would be falling, you'd be stumbling. It would, it would be really hard to do. And sin, it seems pretty, it seems attractive, but it truly is that boulder that you're trying to drag along with you. And so I think a, an important perspective shift for us as we think about following Christ as, as this starting line is that when, when we want to run the race, we want to run it as freely as possible. And we need to stop looking at sin as all these things, quote unquote, that God is trying to deny us um, and see it for what it is. It's, it's dead weight holding us back. And so when it comes to following Christ, when it comes to running the race that God has put us into, I want you to see confessing your sin as not just beating yourself up. I think a lot of people, when they think about sin, and when, th- when they think about confessing sin to God, it- it's a really depressing thing to do. But what I want you to, uh, what, I- what I'd like for you to try to do is to start thinking about it as releasing weights, that you're, you're gaining freedom to run the way that you were intended to run. When, when I'm confessing sin, I am, I am enabling myself to be a better father and husband. I'm enabling myself to be a better neighbor. I'm, I'm enabling myself to be a better boss or coworker. I'm enabling myself to be a better brother in Christ to someone in my community. So just as we wouldn't try to run a race with 500 pounds strapped to our back, I'm just trying to encourage you, don't run the race of faith while also trying to carry the weight of sin. Okay? So we're going to talk more about sin in future podcasts, but that's I think that's just a very simple observation and a, and a good perspective shift for us. Sin is not just this pretty attractive thing that that God is just trying to keep us away from, but it's truly something that is holding us back from living the way that God intended for us to live. All right? All right, third observation, very simple one, is focus on Jesus. As we're running the race, 
our focus should be on Jesus. He's the author and perfecter of our faith. So in other words, we, we come uh, to begin the race through Christ, and, and then we run the race with Christ in the power of Christ. So he gives us direction. He gives us strength. He gives us motivation. He's our example. One of the best illustrations of focusing on Jesus comes from Matthew 14. It's, it's one of the best illustrations in Scripture. It's Peter uh, walking on water. Uh, G- the, the disciples were out, on the, uh, out in a boat, and Jesus comes up to them in the middle of a storm, and he's walking on water toward them. And the disciples, of course, are scared out of their minds. And Jesus is like, it's me, guys, you know. And Peter, and Peter says, well, if it's you, tell, tell me to come walk to you on the water. So Jesus says, come on. And Peter gets out of the boat, one of the most crazy things in the world. Like, I can't imagine, you know, having that idea. But Peter gets out of the boat and begins to walk on the water toward Jesus. His eyes are fixed on him. But then, for whatever reason, Peter begins to look around him. And he sees the wind and how it's whipping up the waves of the water. And he starts to get scared, and so he starts to drown. And the, the pertinent question is, why did Peter start to fall? It wasn't because all of a sudden a storm came up. The storm was already there. He was walking on water while wind and waves were whipping around him already. The, 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 the answer to it is, he took his eyes off of Christ, and he, and he put them on the things around him. The circumstances surrounding Peter were actually irrelevant to whether or not he was walking on water. Uh, but when his eyes came off Jesus, that's when he began to fall. And so as we run the race of faith, as we are confessing sin and asking for forgiveness and, and God is forgiving us and we're releasing those weights, the, the, the point is that we should be looking toward Christ for our direction, for our strength, for our motivation, for our example. Because when we take our eyes off of him, it disorients us. We, uh, it, 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 it causes us to fear. It scares us. We don't, we're not, we're not sure what to do. We're, we, you know, we fall. And so just as sin can be a struggle, uh, and keep us from running the race well, also our eyes, if, if we're not focused on Christ, if we are not getting direction and strength and motivation and example from him, we're not going to know how to run the race either. And so my, my point is, don't get distracted from your purpose. And your purpose is found in Christ. We said, Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So that's our purpose. Uh, Matthew 13, 44 and 46. I, I love these verses. Um, actually, just verse 44. Since the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up, then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and he buys that field. And, and the reason why I'm reading this is, because when we keep our eyes on Jesus, it's worth more than anything else. That a lot of times people think of faith as this exchange where, okay, I trust in Jesus, and now I'm going to give up all the good things in life so that I might live kind of miserably, but at least I'm going to go to heaven. And that's not the message of the scriptures. Um, it's not as though God is asking you to trade in one life for a worse life. The, the whole point of the Bible is that following him, following after God, not only makes your life better, but it also makes your family life better. It not only makes your family life better, but it also makes your neighborhood life better. It also makes it not only makes your neighborhood life better, but it makes your your community and then your your state and then your country and then your culture. It it completely changes everything around you. And so when we when we think about following after Christ, when we think about focusing on him, the the goal isn't okay, well what am I giving up? The person who found that treasure, he was willing to give it all up because he saw how much more valuable it was to go and gain that treasure. And that's the race of faith, that we have found a treasure far worth far more than anything else. 
and in following him, it's going to be more of a blessing, more of a joy than anything else this world could offer. So we're called to run the race. We're called to, to free ourselves from sin as we try to run the race, and we're called to focus on Christ. Thanks for taking the time to listen today. Salvation is just the starting point. Um, God has so much more for you. It doesn't matter where you are now in your spiritual journey. I would just encourage you, turn to him. Um, he has a purpose for you. He, he cares about you. Uh, he wants you to, to run the race that you're called to run because it's, it's the best life that you could have. Um, in an upcoming episode, what I'd love to do is cover a couple questions straight from you. So here's an invitation to join the conversation. I don't want this to be one-sided. I, w- I would love to hear from people. So the question is, what is the hardest part of following Jesus for you? It, you know, is it the spiritual disciplines? Is it sharing your faith? Is it, is it not knowing God's will? Um, you know, it's a broad question, but I, I just want to know so we can begin to talk through some of this together. Uh, if you'd like, you can send me an email with your answer or maybe a question, you know, somewhat pertaining to it at podcastvia at gmail.com. Uh, that's podcastvia at gmail.com. Uh, you can include your name or you can remain anonymous. doesn't matter to me. Either way is fine. Uh, thanks for listening. I really do appreciate you taking the time out of your day to listen. Be sure to hit that subscribe button so you know when the next episode hits. Uh, that's it for this episode. See you next time.